listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. So as we head back to school last week, we, um, we kicked off this new series, Rooted. We're looking at what it means, what it looks like um, to live deeply rooted in Christ in so many ways. And a, a friend shared this image with me um, just recently uh, of, a, of, a, of a tree. Um, it's a tree um, that is believed to be uh, roughly 4,000 years old. Imagine, um, imagine this tree. I think it's there, not that one. There we go. It's an olive tree in Greece. And it's believed to have been, I mean, just imagine 4,000 years ago. What was going on 4,000 years ago when this sprouted from the ground? Um, 2000 BC, a man named Abram, God called to go on a journey that would change the world. Someone in China was discovering bronze for the first time. The technological advances that have happened, the wars, the kings, the kingdoms, the poets, the, the changes in the world, all that we, this tree has witnessed and experienced. The most remarkable part of this is that the tree still bears fruit in season. Every season, olives bloom from this, this tree. And throughout scripture, there is this word picture. There's this image. You find it in the very beginning of scripture. You find it in the poets. You find it in the prophets. You find it in Jesus' teaching. You find it in the last chapters. There's this image of a tree that's planted, planted in soil that nourishes it. Not just for its own benefit, but because that tree will produce fruit over and over, it will leave a legacy, it will last. Its roots, though, are deep. And this is the important part. What's under the surface is what's bringing life and sustaining life. And it could be easy to overlook what really matters. And so last week, we, we kicked it off from the psalm, uh, from the first psalm, when the psalmist des de describes this blessed life this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. That person is like what? A tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever it does prospers. What a beautiful image of a life that God invites us into, the life that requires a choice to delight in the law of the Lord, his way, to meditate on his goodness and who he is. Instead of all the competing voices, to, to ground ourselves, to root ourselves, to meditate on his word. And I hope that you picked up one of those cards if you were here last week, and I think we still have some in the back where we're inviting you to meditate on, on God's word through this series, to invite his spirit to root us, to, to deepen our roots. And so if this life sounds good to you, <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't, right? 
Who would say, no, that's not really, I'm not really into the whole blessed life. I don't really need healthy relationships. I'm not really into that. That might be for other people. But we all do. We all long for that. And so today I wanna turn to Jesus' words and his use of a similar, uh, it's a story about this kind of life. It's a story about um, a a farmer. It's actually Jesus' most important parable, okay? It's his most important, or or at least the key parable that that unlocks the door. Why? Because I said so. No, not because I said so. Not because somebody with a bunch of letters behind their name says so, but because Jesus said so himself. You see, Jesus taught this parable that I'm gonna teach you today, and, and he said to his disciples, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand the rest? This is like the door, that, the key that unlocks the door to open ourselves to all of the other teachings of Jesus because it has to do with soil. This parable is called the parable of the sower, the parable of the, you know, the seed. And it's called a lot of different things, but really what it is is it's the parable, it's really the parable of the soils. The central part of this story is, is different, are, are different kinds of soils. Jesus says if you can't, in, in verse 13, if you can't, of, of Mark 4, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? So let's go back and read this story and pay attention to what we need to learn from it. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. So we have hard soil. We have have shallow soil. The shallow soil, it says, the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among what? Among thorns and grew up and choked out. That grew up, the thorns grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced what? No grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as it had been planted. And then he said, anyone, who, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And today I wanna to talk to you about what it looks like for us to be rooted in this way. But even more than that, I wanna talk about what it means to be rooted in the home. Because so much of our faith and so much of the soil in our own hearts is a product of the environment in which we live, in the home. Faith begins at home. The family is God's design, God's gift, God's blessing for us to nurture faith in an environment where fertile soil can embrace the word of God and grow deep, lasting roots and fruitful trees. Now, 
I wanna just say the home looks different for a lot of us. I realize I'm preaching to a crowd that's diverse and some of us, for some of us, we're single and you know, we look forward maybe to the day that we will have a family. For others of us, we're married with, uh, we don't have kids yet and we look to that day or maybe for some of us, we're married with kids in the home. Some of us are uh, divorced or blended families or you know, some of us, hallelujah, we've raised them and they're gone. Anybody like there? I thought I was almost there. That, that's another story. Um, we, uh, regardless of where you are in life's journey, this is a sermon for you, so I don't want you to check out, okay? Because God uses the home as a crucial place to grow faith, and here's the deal. The home matters. It matters no matter what your home looks like. Because, listen, this is not about your just about your individual home. It is about the importance of home in the development of our faith, the importance of deeply rooted homes and families where faith can blossom and grow and grow deep roots. And so if you're a grandparent or if you're a parent of adult children or if you're looking back and wishing that you could do it all over again, how many of us wouldn't do something different, right? Listen, don't check out and don't make excuses because the only thing that you can control is what you do today and what you do today matters in the life of other people and especially young people. You see, the church that fails to recognize how important the home is and being an advocate for healthy marriages and healthy homes, whatever they look like, that God's word can take root in the home is a church that's gonna fail to be fruitful long-term. And so we, as a body of Christ, have a responsibility to care deeply about homes because homes are the place where the soil is tended, where the environment uh, greatly increases the likelihood, okay? Here's the other one, other thing I wanna say right up front because a lot of times preachers get up and talk about family and talk about raising kids and parenting and marriage and they make all kinds of promises. If you just do this, then things will turn out well. And we all know that's not always 100% of the time. Some people do everything with a prayerful heart, with, with deep, sincere faith, with a longing, praying over their kids, and, and yet their kids walk away from faith, walk away from God. But listen, Here's what I believe. I believe in the likelihood principle. It's all through the Proverbs. That you have the capacity to partner with God to greatly increase the probability that your home will be a place that fosters a deep, abiding, growing faith that lasts. And there are things that you can do to make a difference. There are things that you can do as a grandparent. Listen, Grandparents, I just wanna say this and I'll get it off my chest. Your job is not to spoil your grandkids. And parents, can you say amen to that? Like, I know grandparents love to say that, like my job is just to spoil them. You don't want spoiled brats as teenagers. You don't want spoiled brats as adults for grandchildren, okay? And I know deep down if you do some soul searching, really what that is is a way of getting back at your kids, amen? Like for what they did to you. I understand that part. So there's a little bit, like I give you a little permission, okay? But let's be honest, we all play an important role and grandparents play a huge role in partnering with parents and the church plays a huge role. We, we matter to each other and all of our kids, we belong. If we're the family of God, then we all belong 
to each other, and we all should be praying and supporting and encouraging one another. It's not just your biological children. You're not in this alone. And so what do we do to foster the kind of of homes that are deeply rooted in Christ for the word of God to take root? Here, I want to lift up a couple things straight from what Jesus says. First, roots grow best in soft soil. I mean, it's like too obvious, but it's true, and we need to pay attention to what that means. What it means is that we fight against hardened hearts. It is not your job to beat the word of God over your kids' heads, to force them. Listen, if you're, if you're trying to force them to do something, the spirit is not the one doing it. You can't make them. And listen, that's motivated most often when we're harsh and hard, it's more about us looking good as parents. How it reflects on our parenting skills and what are other people gonna say? What are other people in the church gonna say? Like, what they don't know what they're doing as parents. Like, listen, what God invites us to do as parents is not to harden hearts by just trying to make sure, listen, I've heard too many people say, like, I just want my kids to behave, I just want my kids to be good, I just want my kids to be happy, or whatever it is. Listen, what we need for our kids, what we should be praying for and longing for is that they wouldn't just be happy or good, but that they would be, that they would be holy. Not in the way that we often make holy, but that they would be right with God, that they would walk with him, that they would have a deep Love for Christ, and the best thing you can do is not just teach your kids to follow a bunch of rules, but to learn to love Jesus in a way that they long to be obedient to him. You, was it, was it fear? Was it, you know, that doesn't, that's not faith that lasts forever. A faith that lasts forever is, deep, is, is rooted in a deep love for Jesus and who he is. And so Roots grow in soft soil. We as parents and grandparents, we don't just condone everything that our kids think and say. That's not loving. We challenge them. We invite them to grow in different seasons of life. We redirect. We, we choose to shape, but you never can force your kids to obey Jesus. And I need to say this is more caught than it's taught. So the other thing about this, about this parable, it's not written as a parenting parable. It has application in that manner. But the most important thing you can do is look at your own heart. How are you growing in your faith? How are you modeling what you teach your kids to do? Are you willing to admit your mistakes and ask forgiveness and humble yourself and model what it means and looks like to be a child of God pursuing God with all that you are. Roots grow in this soft soil, and roots need room to grow. They need room to grow. This is one of the most timely ones, I think, for us today, because so many times, more and more and more, the word is being choked out by other priorities, by the competition, by the worries 
by the other values and other priorities and other things that we want them to excel in when we're talking about parenting, that we want them to be at the top of the class and we want them to be good on the, what about spiritual development? You know, yes, fewer and fewer people come to church on a regular basis. And we might say that we're busier and busier and we don't have time. Listen, last I checked, there were still the same amount of hours in every day and the same amount of days in every week. Yes, our world is busier, but it's more an issue of priority. It's more an issue of, of choosing what is most important and choking back or, or pushing back, pulling out the weeds. Jesus uses weeds, the thorns, right, that choke the worries and the pleasures of this world, the other delights, these other things. How many of you love gardening? I don't. I hate it. Um, I like a garden that looks nice. I like the result. I like a fruitful, you know, garden. I'm not, but, but I, you know what I hate most about gardening? Weeds. Anybody with me? It's not just me, right? I mean, none of you even want to think about gardening right now, right? I mean, like, it's ridiculous to be outside, but I hate weeds because weeds always come back. It's like, I wish, I, I just wish that I, I wouldn't hate weeding my garden if I just had to do it once and they were always gone. This is the challenge. But see, this is our expectation. We expect, we expect to just pull the weeds and be done with it and not have to worry about it anymore. And friends, as soon as we get over the illusion that life will ever be like that, the better off we'll be. Because life will never be perfect. Life will never be without thorns, not until Jesus comes back because we have an enemy who is always trying to push us and to press us to choose other priorities over God's kingdom. And so friends, part of life and part of spiritual development and part of parenting is always going to be putting your gloves on and going out and actually just pulling the weeds out again. Now, it helps if you get the root of it, right? Don't just take the top off. We all know how we've addressed things by just taking what's at the surface. Get to the root, pull it out, but you're never gonna be done. Listen, you're never gonna be done. So just, just don't, don't let that create more anxiety. Just breathe and say, okay, it is what it is, and I'll choose joy even as, you know, if you just put some music on, it makes it feel better, right? I mean, choose to have a different perspective about the weeds. Maybe invite your friends to come and weed with you. <laughs> Okay, but forget the illusion that there will never that there will be no more weeds once you've pulled them. It will be a lifelong battle because this world will always crowd out God's word. But if you pull back the weeds and if you make room, the roots will grow and eventually a strong root a strong root structure will start to press there will be fewer weeds because the roots begin to grow and take over. Roots need room to grow. Roots must grow deep to last. You know, if you live on the Gulf Coast, you kind of get this, right? And when a hurricane blows through, you figure out which trees had deeper roots than others. They might all look the same on the surface, but what's under is exposed when the wind blows. And this is what Jesus says. He says, when temptation and trials come, we'll see the shallow faith. Now, none of us ever go into life, into faith, or into relationships saying, I want shallow. How many, like, how many of you last week just prayed, God, bring me some shallow friends? <laughs> shallow friends that I can sit around and talk about shallow things with. Like, I don't wanna go deep. 
I don't want it to be hard. I just want it shallow. Nobody really wants that, but it's more difficult. It takes time. Listen, it takes pushing through conflict because there will be times that we don't agree or that we hurt each other. If you're in a relationship, you'll hurt one another. But are you willing to address those things, to, to address your own shortcomings, and, and for the sake of deep roots, go a little further than just surface level? Will you do the same for your kids? Will you help them grow beyond just surface level, shallow faith? Will you model it in your own life, not just to have cliche faith that just addresses real problems with simple, simplistic answers, but digs deeper and wrestles and questions God and cries out to God and prays to God in all seasons so that you might grow deeper in time over the long haul so that when the temptations come in your own life or so that when the temptations and the trials come in your kid's life, that they will be strong. Stand firm. This starts with one simple thing, acknowledging that we are in a spiritual battle and we must fight a spiritual fight. All of these things require us to go to battle. It is not a cakewalk. And we have one who came to rob, kill, and destroy. And as soon as you get serious about, about growing deep roots at home, I promise you the enemy is not happy about that because it has implications not just for your family but for the whole world around you. When the home gets right, a lot of other things start to get right. And so we gotta fight this battle. We gotta fight it by pulling the weeds. We gotta fight it by prioritizing God's word, by meditating on it like we said last week. But ultimately, here's the one thing. Listen, this is not a how-to parent, grandparent, whatever sermon you know, that's for another day, and I wouldn't even try that with all of you because all of your situations, and there's no cookie-cutter cookie answer for every person. There, there is one thing that applies to all of us is that we can all pray more deeply. Pray more deeply that our kids, that we will be rooted deeply. Seek God with all of our hearts like it matters because it does with a passion and a fervency to see his kingdom come to life for his longings to be true and to be real and realized. Now, I warn you, like this kind of prayer is not that complicated. It's a conversation, but it does invite us into a battle. God doesn't always answer on our time or in the way that we think. In fact, what changes most when we pray is us. Your heart, when you cry out to God, when you turn, as Paul says, turn your worries into prayers. You know, how many of you are good? Like, prayer, you know, that's hard. Worry, I'm good at that. Like, I can worry. Like, you don't know what to do with something. You don't know how to fix it. Anybody, anybody here ever felt that way? None of you? Okay, then y'all come up here because, like, that's not me. Like, there are times we don't know how to fix things in our life. And if we don't know what to, listen, if you don't know what to do, you will worry if you're not careful. You have a choice, actually, because worry is, is a nervous activity of I'm gonna do something because not doing anything is not working for me, and I need to do something to control the situation. So ultimately, subconsciously, when we worry, what we're doing is trying to feel like we're doing something when we feel like there's nothing we can do. 
But here's the great news. Anytime you worry, it's very simple to turn your worry into a prayer. All you have to do is worry to God and give it to him. You take your worry and you speak it to Jesus. And you know what else? Like Luis taught me this. Once you speak it to Jesus, it's his problem. It's not yours anymore. <laughs> I mean, it kind of lifts you a little bit, right? To know that, you know, and here's the other thing. When you pray with others, that's a vulnerable place to go. We don't always want to admit. But when you pray with others, it just multiplies what I just said. Because when others know what you're walking through and are praying with you, all of a sudden it feels a little lighter. But here's my point. Worries can be prayers very easily if you just turn to God with them and turn them into a request or, or a lament or a cry or a question. They're all prayers. So I'd ask you, what are you praying for your kids? Let me encourage you to pray around this parable, really. If we look at the parable and we look at you know, what kind of soil we want to create so that, the, so that the likelihood principle is in effect, right? That it's more likely that our kids will receive the word of God, put it into practice. We can pray this. We can, pl- we can pray that they're rooted in God's love first. Soft soil. Pray that they're rooted in God's love. Lord, soften my heart. Soften our hearts. Soften their hearts to hear you. For the word to sink in. For listen, His Holy Spirit is the the Holy Spirit is the only thing that's going to change a heart. It doesn't matter how smart, how wise, how strategic you are. The only way God's going to use you to change a heart is if His Holy Spirit is working in you. And so be more submissive to the power of the Holy Spirit and pray that God will align you with him and what he wants those around you to know. Ephesians 3 is a great prayer, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, Paul prays over the church in Ephesus that they might grasp God's love because he knows when they grasp the love of God, not this feeling, but this action of sacrifice, of self-giving, of generosity, if they grasp a little bit of that love, they will be so motivated to do whatever God calls them to do because love motivates, that kind of love motivates us to be obedient And so pray that your kids will be rooted in God's love and then pray that they'll be rooted in God's purposes as well. That they'll discover that his purpose, his priority is so much greater that they'll see it as attractive beyond all other things. That they'll be rooted in his purposes. I cry out God most high to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And then pray that they'll be rooted in God's promises. That they'll hold fast in temptation or trial knowing that if they put roots down deeply, that his kingdom will come, that they will be sustained through his spirit. Yes, the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Pray that they'll have more than a good day. Pray that they'll be more than just protected. Pray that they'll be dangerous for Jesus. 
Pray that they'll trust him more deeply. And listen, I'm inviting you to pray with me for all of our kids and to do more than just pray. When you pray, God will call you to act. And when you act, God will use you to make a difference in someone's life, maybe in ways that you won't ever even know about, but deeper roots will be formed. I wanna show you a picture that I, that, I, that I came across on Facebook last week. This is a picture of Carrie Crocker. Carrie Crocker was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. She's sitting in the chair behind or in front of her granddaughter and all of her great-grandchildren. Carrie Crocker, I didn't know Carrie was alive still because Carrie's 104 years old. Still has the joy of the Lord all over her face. Which I did the math. Maybe you're doing the math. How old do you think I am? <laughs> but I think Carrie had to be in her 60s when she said yes. to being a fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And you might think I was delightful in fourth grade. <laughs> Not exactly. Um, I was probably more likely to go to prison than to be a pastor, actually. That's what some of my, <laughs> some people in my life would say. Um, but she said yes. Carrie's husband was one of my grandfather's best friends. He passed away at an early age. She's been a widow for over 50 years now. Yet the joy of the Lord is evident in her life and the way that she has given. The way that she said yes to, you know, to a bunch of rowdy, crazy fourth graders. Second and third grade were not pleasant for me, for, for my parents. They're, that's still what they talk about at family reunions is how crazy and wild I was in second, third grade. Listen, but I had a grandmother who was a praying saint, a saint who was praying for me. And I just recognized this this week um, because, you know, they say that, that, that nobody remembers what you tell them. They remember how, how you made them feel. And when that picture came up and I saw her face, I don't remember anything we learned, but when I saw the picture, I got chills and my heart was warmed and I sensed the loving presence of God just seeing her face. And I know that that's because she and my grandmother, she was one of my grandmother's best friends. And then one of my other grandmother's best friends in fourth grade was my teacher at school. So my praying grandmother, I don't know, orchestrated the whole thing. It just all like occurred to me this week. Like fourth year was, fourth grade was the year that God broke through to this wild ADHD kid, right? And it was because my grandmother and her friends, because of my parents and their friends, because of my church family, because all these people, they were praying. And they were saying yes. And listen, we're going back to school and we need each other. Amen, parents? We need each other to parents our, parent our kids together. Our student ministry and children's ministry have, have um, tables set up outside where you can say yes to Jesus. Somebody after the first service said, you know, the Lord was just 
moving my heart, and I had no intention of being a part of children or students. I'm, I'm like Ms. Crocker. I'm beyond my years of doing that, but, but the Lord said to do that, and so I went and signed up. Listen, if the Holy Spirit's prompting you, I wanna, I wanna invite you to say yes to the Spirit in whatever way he's prompting you to make a difference in the lives of our young people, to say yes, to go by and to volunteer just to help in a simple way. And it may make a difference in the life of someone down the road that you never even know about, but you can know without a shadow of a doubt that you are prioritizing God's kingdom above all the other things of this world when you say yes to the simple tug of the Holy Spirit in your life. I wanna pray this prayer over all of our families, over you today, that. God's kingdom would reign. I wanna pray back to Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer. I'm just gonna use his words because it's a perfect prayer for us today as we consider these words of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me and receive these words of Jesus, of, of Paul and his prayer for you, for us, for the early church. I pray that out of his glorious riches, Christ may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's in Christ's name I ask. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.